Right, so here we go. Welcome along to a brand new podcast entitled How I Got the Wrestling Bug. I'm your host, David Lovell, and every week I'm going to be joined by a couple of different guests, and uh, normally they'll be doing the um, sh- um, interviews separately, and I do them two in one, as it were. So I'm going to try and do 30-minute interviews every week with at least two guests and turn it into one one-hour podcast. But for the very first show, I've actually got two guests on at the same time. Uh, joining me are Joey Garcia. Hello, Joey. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. And we're also joined by J.D. Oliver as well. J.D., nice to have you on. Nice to be on, David. i got to say, I feel... Just listening to your accent makes me feel like this is a super professional thing and I have to really, like, level up. Like, I really, I'm really, i really, like, stepped up for this game now, man. Well, I, I give that illusion, but trust me, it's not, it's not, it's not that professional. It's not that professional, but... Uh, Thanks for having us on, man. We're looking forward to being your, your first guests, and uh, hopefully, hopefully Joey and I can have a good show on this one. Well, hopefully it'll be the first of many. I've got quite a few in the pipeline, uh, and a lot of them obviously are from the Fight Game podcast facebook group I actually all of them are from the from the uh, fight game podcast facebook group but we're, you know we're, we're such a great family there now it seems everyone gets on really well and i feel like i know you already even though we've obviously never met and right. uh, we're obviously miles away from each other but that's uh, great because we can c- communicate through the power of modern technology and um, you two guys know each other pretty well um joey i mean you were saying that um jd was your was it uh, wrestling coach at high school? Yes, yeah. Uh, he actually, uh, I met him because he coached my older brother. And then uh, uh, once I got into high school, he was still around. So uh, me and him know each other from that and then kind of just remained friends afterwards. We've worked together on a couple of different things. And, uh, you know, I help coaching now. So, you know, uh, during the off-season stuff, you know, he's definitely, you know, one of the people that I work with during that. So, yeah, we're... Uh, definitely some, uh, I'd say close friends. What do you think, JD? You're like my little brother. Like, yeah, you know how old this makes me feel having to like, <laughs> listen to you talk about this from like years ago. Jeez. Yeah. I was yeah, gonna, that's... I was gonna ask what is the age difference, but I, I, I don't want to go there. Joey, but... <laughs> I want to do it. Joey, what year were you born? 95. Uh, 95. Jeez. I'm 15, I'm 15 years older than you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly 10 God. years older than you as well, so. 95 ah jesus <laughs> anyway um so yeah so both of you obviously have a, a wrestling background i'm assuming i mean um what's your background jd well um i'm it's i'm a, I'm a high level amateur wrestling coach uh, i coach at a high school in illinois uh, about 50 miles outside of chicago called dekalb uh last year we were in the top 50 for um for you know high school programs in the country um, I'm a member of the Team Illinois National Greco-Roman Coaching Staff. I'm a bronze-level certified coach. So uh, amateur wrestling is is a big part of, like, who I am and, and kind of what my life revolves around. And I so I kind of fell into amateur wrestling through my love of professional wrestling. So it's uh, – there's not a lot of us, <laughs> guys who like both sides. But, you know, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with fight game is uh, kind of bridge the gap a little bit. Obviously, I mean, this this, this would be about uh, pro wrestling. Uh, but right. I suppose when it comes to amateur wrestling, I, I suppose um, there aren't, like you said, it's not that many that have really crossed over. I mean, obviously, the biggest example would be Kurt Angle, I suppose, wouldn't it? That, uh, you know, how amazing quickly, you know, it's amazing how quickly he made that transition. Uh, I don't it know was- if anyone's ever done it better than him, really. There's a lot, actually. There's been, there's a. You'd be surprised how many wrestlers have some type of. Well, I guess I mean. Some type of amateur background. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, Dolph Ziggler, Angle, I suppose. Dolph Ziggler and, and Xavier Dolph, Woods, and I think Cody yeah. did some amateur wrestling as well. Yeah, Cody's Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Both those guys. And Even was, back in the day, Jack Briscoe, uh, Dick Byer, the Destroyer, was an amateur wrestler. Uh, just there's there's actually a lot more than I think people realize. Danny Hodge being well, you know, of course, kind of, yeah. we still we still celebrate Danny Hodge on the rest on the amateur side. That's our Heisman Trophy and in the NCAA is called the Danny Hodge Award. So I mean, like there's there's more crossover than I think people realize. And a lot of times, guys get into the pro game and they kind of hide their amateur background a little bit. Like it was actually Rick and Scott Steiner who were my favorite uh, 
my favorite tag team growing up that right. really yeah. led me into to being an amateur wrestler. They're both all Americans at the University of Michigan. So I mean that's uh, yeah that's a big part of of who we both are because Joey and I both were were college wrestlers as well. So it's uh, yeah. It's, yeah, I'm sure wrestlers can't stop talking about amateur wrestling given the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a that was a fun game that I used to play and I still play now, which is you know back when I was you know wrestling in high school and now when I watch is, uh, you know whenever I see something as far as pro wrestling, if they you know are hitting a certain type of move or they move a certain type of way, I always then look up their background to see if they have any of that um, you know amateur background because. Um, you know that community is very. Uh, you know, I, I'd say that it, it's a it's a close knit community where you know if you run into another wrestler and you don't know them, you know right away it's something that you know you can hit off and and kind of um, you know have that in common with. And so you know I always see my love for certain wrestlers grow exponentially when I find out that they have an amateur background. So you know it's definitely. You know, like, I, I keep a close eye on Chad Gable, even though I don't. Yeah. I was like, just, like, just going to say, do you sort of gravitate more towards guys like Chad Gable? And, I, uh, yeah, I gravitate. Hold oh, on, Jeff, you finish first. I'll go into the second. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, uh, you know, gravitate towards those guys now uh, just because I respect the, the fact that, you know, they're, you know, most likely their skill that they had on the mat is what they're, you know, transitioning into their skill in the ring. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of times it's uh, a pretty a pretty good crossover as far as an athletic standpoint. And so, you know, to um, see some of the great wrestlers that have achieved success on the amateur level, you know, make that transition, it's usually not a surprise to me. And I, I, I do, yeah, gravitate towards those guys big time. Yeah, I'm lucky enough where uh, I run in the same, some of the same social circles as, as Chad Gable. So, like, a lot of the guys that he lived with when he was going to northern Michigan or, or living at the training center are, are good friends of mine. And, and, like, I did some camps with his younger brother. And, like, it's uh, we have a lot of mutual friends together. So I'm a, I'm a huge Chad Gable fan. I mean, we all are. Like, I mean, all of us, like, you get a bunch of Greco guys together, we're all making ready, willing, and Gable jokes because we all just <laughs> we all think Chaz is the man for what he's done. It's just really sad what's happened with uh, Jason Jordan. You know, I love to think that he could get back in the ring one day. I'm not sure if he ever will, but uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I was a huge American Alpha fan. They're my favorite. Oh, they were, they were fantastic. That was like the best time to watch NXT is when it was they were when they were on top of the tag ranks and you know uh, Jason Jordan, Nate Everhart, another guy who actually lives down who's from down the street from where Joey and I are from, uh, another well accomplished amateur wrestler. And it's it is it's a shame, you know. These uh, they're two sports that are really hard on the body. And the moment you start, the clock the clock starts ticking on how much longer you have left. You're right. I think NXT, you know, if you go back three four years ago, the tag division was probably the highlight of NXT for me. You know, every takeover, it was like DIY versus American Alpha or DIY versus a Revival. Or yeah, they had so many great tag teams. But look now, they don't really seem to have hardly any tag teams it's uh it's it's really a shame but anyway we're going off on a tangent here but um let's um run through the the questions i sent to both of you guys so um this podcast obviously is about how you caught the wrestling bug how you um sort of got hooked on it so i'll start with you joey what's your earliest memory of wrestling so that was uh that was what was funny when I was thinking when I was going through the questions was I I have early memories of the Attitude Era as far as you know uh, I had older cousins that would play the SmackDown video games and uh, um, you know I remember at one point we had gotten uh, I believe it was WrestleMania X Seven uh, where you know it was Stone Cold versus The Rock but I was never truly into it but the the funny story about when I did finally give pro wrestling a chance was. Um, it was, I believe the year was 2006, if not 2005, but the, uh, WrestleMania that year was in Chicago. And, uh, yeah. one of my friends in, uh, in, in school had, you know, he always came to school with like a John Cena t-shirt or something. And he was always trying, I sat next to him in one of my classes and he was always trying to get me to, to watch. And so, you know, finally one day it was the go-home show for WrestleMania, and I remember this now vividly because it's one of my favorite WrestleManias, and I've gone back and kind of watched some of the, the things, but I turned on Raw uh, during dinner, and it was just me and my mother sitting at the kitchen table, 
and I happened to turn it on right as Mick Foley had uh, Mr. Sacco wrapped in barbed wire, shoved down Leah's throat, and Edge was outside not helping. And um, <laughs> uh, needless to say, my mother looked at me, looked at the TV, and said, turn it off right away, and was, you know, like, appalled that I even turned it on during dinner. But as, you know, a kid, uh, I was probably about 12 at the time, I, I, at that point I was like, I might be into this. And so uh, that was, you know, right after WrestleMania 22, uh, you know, I moved on from from there and just continuously watched Monday Night Raw. But that was uh, kind of an eye-opening experience of a world that, you know, kind of anything is, anything goes, you know. And so that was, uh, that was probably my first real memory of kind of discovering it on my own. Well, ironically enough, that's when I sort of fell out, fell out of love with wrestling for a little while. Because, uh, well, especially WWE, because that was right around the time after Eddie Guerrero had died. And if you recall, they were doing that whole storyline going into that year's WrestleMania with um, Ray. And I think Randy Orton cut a promo on SmackDown saying that Eddie's not in heaven, he's in hell. Uh, which is really one of the, the... I mean, they've done lots of really shitty things over the years but that was one storyline that i really it was almost like one storyline too far and i did kind of fall out of love with wrestling at that time but that was that was a great wrestlemania for sure i do think that um ray winning should have gone on last though in the main event yeah and i really like that match and it's a shame that you know i've heard since then that you know there was a lot of issues with time and they didn't have you know all the time that you know maybe they thought they were going to have going into it but yeah because i think they, um triple h and john cena's entrances were actually longer if you actually go back they were longer than the actual match that ray kurt and uh, randy had you know i wouldn't doubt it with with those two and uh you know it's 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 funny that you know even then you know during the the entrances the only memorable thing about it is that you know cm punk was writing on the uh on the right, car, not one yeah. of the cars that's dressed up as a mobster rather than you know how good the actual entrances were but uh yeah no that 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 whole wrestlemania was great and that's probably the the ray curtain uh uh orton match was probably my favorite on the card i mean that was really a, a jam-packed you know action-packed uh type of match and yeah that's uh that was probably the first dvd i ever bought too was that that wrestlemania as far as you know wwe that was the the that was the ruthless aggression era that was where i went when i tuned in for sure and for you jd what was your earliest memory so being older i was a little kid when the boom started and i don't remember watching wrestling but i remember hulk hogan excuse me hulk hogan's rock and wrestling the cartoon show and i remember watching it and um so for me those characters were kind of like household names um, I remember the the main event, the Hulk Hogan Andre the Giant match, where where they had the head nerd, the, the thing with the head nerves. Yeah. I remember that must have been on when I was a little kid. I, I vividly remember that, but I didn't really start watching again. I was twelve. It was summer of 1992, and we had a new kid move into the neighborhood who really liked wrestling, and he was over at the house, and we watched one episode of Superstars, and I seen the Road Warriors, but actually watching them just wrestle a squash match. I was like, I'm in. Like, this is cool. Like, there was little, like I said, there's little things. Like, I knew who everybody was. I'd watch here and there growing up, but I never really, like, became a fan until then. And from, like, that summer, summer 92 on, I was I was in. It was pretty much the, yeah, the Road Warriors that did it. And actually, there was Legion of Doom, like, right at the end of that run. Well, funnily enough, Joey fell in love with wrestling around the time that I fell out of love with it. But I sort of started watching around exactly the same time as you then because our, the first event I can remember is SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium, you know, where you had the Legion of Doom riding down on the on the motorcycles. If you recall, shoulder if you, pants, yeah. If you recall that, that was, yeah. Oh, yeah. That but, that have you seen the um, Have you seen the Dark Side of the Ring episode on the Road Warriors though? I have. I have. I'm a, um, I went to school for documentary filmmaking, so I'm a huge documentary nut, and I absolutely <laughs> love Dark Side of the Ring. But it's, it's one of my favorite shows. I didn't realize just in what bad condition Hawk was going into that match. I remember being a fan at the time, and this is I'm buying after magazines and stuff like because I like I jumped in with two feet. So I mean, like I, it was like right when I got into it, the World Warriors suddenly disappeared, and I had no idea what was going on with Hawk War Animal. I just remember one day he show I'm, I'm reading after magazine. One day he's tag teaming with Kensuke Sasaki in Japan, and I'm, just, I'm like, what what's going on here? I couldn't figure it out. 
So, yeah, he, sorry. he burned his uh, he burned his leg on the tailpipe uh, right before that. Is that right? I think I heard that story. I think I heard that right story now. as well. Yeah. So for you, I mean, the, the next question is which wrestlers captured your imagination? But you've, you've kind of already answered that in a way, JD. It was for you. It was the Road Warriors. So the Road Warriors brought me in, but again, they were they were out pretty quick. After that, it was the guys that I really were drawn to. Because like, I started watching this right when Bret Hart gets the Ascension. So I mean, I clicked with Bret Hart right away. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm only I'm a five foot nine inch guy. So I mean, like, I, I've always kind of related a little bit to the quote-unquote smaller guys. So I mean, when, when Bret Hart got his elevation, I immediately was was drawn to him. And then they brought the Steiner brothers in, and they were so different from everything else going on in the WWF at the time that I I was immediately like, these guys are the best. What's going on with them? And then then I kind of got into WCW a couple months later, and I was all about Sting. So I mean, those are the guys that, that to this day I have a strong connection to. And for you, um, Joey, who were the guys that really captured your imagination? Well, uh, definitely in the beginning, uh, kind of like what JD said about, you know, um, looking at, you know, Bret Hart, you know, being a short guy and everything. You know, I was a, a little little chubby kid when I was watching wrestling. So I looked at I looked at Randy Orton as a, you know, a good looking dude and everything that kind of had what I wanted to look like when I got older and right. stuff. Still yeah. working on it, but... Uh, uh, you know that that really, and then just his cockiness, and he was a heel at the time, so it was a lot of, uh, you know, um, just his the way he carried himself and things like that. And then of course the amazing finishing move, you know, that was kind of the guy that you know I really watched intently outside of you know just uh, you know DX had reformed right around that time, and again we're talking I was 12 years old, so everything they did to me was hilarious. Um, you know, so that I, I liked I liked those guys, and uh, um, honorable mention would go to Carlito. I think uh, Carlito was somebody that I just, you know, as such a character, you know, carrying around an apple and spitting it in people's faces. You know, I, I just, uh, there, you know, there was something always where you know if he was on the TV, he was I was definitely paying attention. You know, I liked the uh, the whole gimmick that he had at that point. And what was the uh, first show you remember attending live, Joey? So uh, it was a house show up here in Rockford, Illinois, uh, and my grandparent, uh, my, my grandpa uh, took me and my uh, two brothers, and uh, that, was, that was the first one I went to, and it was uh, probably one of my favorites because... Uh, the arena was pretty small, and I remember even being in the bleachers. Jeff Hardy, you know, ran up to the the fence, and he was the Intercontinental Champion at the time, so I got to touch the title. And um, you know, me and my older brother were kind of uh, troublemakers, and we snuck down and you know, uh, uh, you know, made our way to like the barricade. And uh, you know, it was a I think I believe it, the main event was a tag team match with. Uh, Caden Murdoch versus John Cena and Triple H, and uh, after the match, Triple H kind of fell into the crowd and fell right into uh, my older brother and our and mine's arms. And uh, uh, it was, you know, that was a, a, such an experience for somebody who was already kind of diving headfirst into it to then go into, you know, uh, essentially what was my grandparents' backyard in Rockford, Illinois, and then having that experience with all these people that I've seen, you know, on TV, it was, uh, if I wasn't bought in by then, I was definitely bought in right afterwards, you know. <laughs> and that building at Rockford is such a dump. I'm amazed they, they, they still go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for you, JD, do you remember the first live event that you attended? Absolutely. It was September 1992. We went to the, the, the famed Rosemont Horizon that had uh, WrestleManias 2 and 13, and became the Allstate Arena. That's one of the one of the more famous arenas in, in wrestling. And I went to a house show in September '92. The main it was a double main event. It was supposed to be Bret Hart versus Shawn My uh, versus Papa Shawn. Excuse me. No, it was it was Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels and Ultimate Warrior versus Ric Flair. And Shawn Michaels didn't show up, so it wound up being Bret Hart versus Papa Shawn. And then Ric Flair had his inner ear problem, so they switched it to Ultimate Warrior versus Kamala. So my first show, I learned that card is subject to change. I mean, nothing against Kamala, 
or, or nothing against Papa Shango, but that oh, it's a huge step down. <laughs> that was a huge step down, yeah. <laughs> especially with a twelve-year-old, that was heartbroken. I was like, this is terrible. But I got to see Bret Hart do the Sharpshooter live, and um, the, it was weird because that was like in a down period, and the arena was maybe one third of the way full at the time. So it was kind of it was crazy looking back, and I remember being there, being like, wow, there's like nobody here. Now, that is one of the great arenas, as you say. I mean, I think Steve Austin famously said that's his favourite arena to wrestle in. Because, of course, that's where he had the famous match with, with Brett mm-hmm. at WrestleMania 13. Um, yep. The next question I have, because I, 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 I talked earlier about me sort of falling out of love with wrestling at one point. Was there any point where either of you sort of lost interest in wrestling at any point? Absolutely. I lost interest uh, 2003, right at the time I graduated college. Um, 2003 is not looked at as a, a, a fun time, not looked at fondly, I think, for good reason. The creative was bad, and the monopoly had really started, and I think they lost their creative luster. And I, I was, by the summer of 2003, I wasn't watching very frequently. I checked in again at the 2004 Royal Rumble and watched the build the WrestleMania and ended with, you know, Guerrero and Benoit, which was a big for a big WCW fan, that was pretty cool for me. Of course, that was before all the the grossness. And then by the time, you know, I was done after that summer, and I, I just didn't check in again. I had other interests in life. And I took about, I, I come in here and there and look at stuff. Like, I, I catch episodes. Um, my interest sparked again in 2011 when Punk was doing his thing. But they ruined that too quickly to be really interesting, and I was out again. But it was really, uh, it was really 2014 that I came back. So I took about a good, a good 10-year break from really oh, following Oh, really, it. yeah. Cause for me, it was really five years from, like, 2006 to 2011. And funny enough, it, it was definitely the CM Punk thing and the Pipe Bomb promo that sort of brought me back in. That was big. That was. I remember I caught it on Twitter. And uh, I know Punk. Yeah, Punk, another, another Illinois guy. Like, he would, he had made news, and so I, I immediately checked out on, on YouTube what had happened. And, like, I watched the rest of that build-up, and it was really interesting, and I thought, wow, what are they going to do with this? And then they brought him back a week later, and I was like, it's the same old thing, man. These guys just can't tell a story. So I left, and, yeah. 2014, the Daniel Bryan stuff was pretty good, but that's that's what brought me back. Any point where you stop watching wrestling, Joey? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, and I remember because it was, uh, I believe, my birthday gift. Or, or, or Christmas gift, uh, I can't remember which, but um, they, my my grandmother uh, had let me uh, order WrestleMania 25, uh, which was uh, in 2009, and so um, I remember not at that point realizing that, number one, I didn't want that for a gift uh, <laughs> anymore. Uh, there were other things that, you know, I probably would, would have had them spend their money on, but then um, I was still, you know, happy to watch it, and I and I did, and um, but I remember not under, not knowing any of the storylines or anything along that, um, you know, those lines as far as what was going on in the pay per view to where I think that was, um, you know, the last kind of, you know, uh, time where I paid attention up until I want to say 2018. Um, so I had I had been out for almost about 10 years as well. And during all of the, you know, summer punk and stuff like JD, I remember you talking about that, um, you know, at, at, uh, you know, either wrestling practice or whatever. Yeah, really? I remember that. Yeah, and I remember, because we and me and you would talk wrestling every once in a while, but um, I remember you talking about that, and then I remember talking with some of my friends who had not really watched wrestling, and I didn't know them as fans, and I just remember, you know, kind of being in high school and just being like, you know, you guys watch that? You know, I watched that when I was in sixth grade, blah, blah, blah. Kind of trying to, you know, grow out of it and, and get away from it. But, uh, yeah, that was that was probably it. And then, funny enough, uh, my friends and I had ended up just for fun, you know, once we were able to drink and kind of, you know, have some adult fun, we uh, uh, all decided that we were going to get tickets to Money in the Bank. Um and that was the year that uh, Shinsuke Nakamura uh, faced AJ Styles, and uh, um, there was a couple other, you know, big ones. Kevin Owens took a huge bump off of the ladder into a bunch of tables. Um, 
and uh, me and my friends actually dressed up. I dressed up as Hulk Hogan, and you know, one of my other friends dressed up as Randy Savage and stuff. And we had a we had a blast to where I remember I had such a good time that the next day uh, for for Raw, I, I thought I'd turn it on to kind of see the fallout, and then. I think I've just been, you know, consistently watching with everything going on. You know, I was, I'm definitely a huge AEW fan more than I am a WWE fan. So, you know, kind of going from getting back into WWE right around the same time AEW was forming and all of that was, uh, you know, the perfect recipe to kind of get me back into everything. Well, that leads on nicely to the next question, which is what are your viewing habits now and, and what do you watch? So you, you pretty much watch everything, JD? No, I don't watch WWE at all. Um, I got really, I got really bored with the product around 2017-ish, and, um, that was also the time, like, um, they were doing some stuff that didn't mesh with a lot of my personal beliefs, and I was like, I just don't care anymore, and I pretty much just kept up with it by listening to Wade Keller at the gym, and then, um, <clears throat> I started following the indies a lot more, so now when I'm watching, I don't watch any, I don't watch any WWE, I watch... AEW, MLW. Uh, I'm just getting back and trying to watch Ring of Honor now. And then I really, I really follow Japan really closely. Um, Super into New Japan. I love Dragon Gate. Like and all Japan a lot. Um, I think Noah had one of the best shows of the year the, uh, about two weeks ago. So I'm, I'm really focused on on what goes on in Japan. And then AEW is pretty much my favorite U.S. promotion. And for you, I mean, you already sort of answered the question, Joey, but uh, for you, it's, it's mainly AEW you watch now, but you do keep up with WWE as well? Yeah, I keep up with WWE, uh, you know, right now, probably just uh, mainly like pay-per-views, whenever I'm free on a Sunday and, you know, um, you know, want to kind of keep up. Um, I was really upset with, and still am, I guess, uh, with how The Fiend has been booked. I really liked the initial, you know, debut and everything that was going on with that. And I thought, uh, you know, the kind of, you know, I'm sure whoever's not a, a WWE fan anymore probably, you know, has experienced this where they have something good going and you want to give them that shot. And a lot of times you get let down, you know, uh, with, with how they end up, you know, booking it. And that was what The Fiend was, where I was starting to fall out with it, you know, kind of like what JD said with, personal beliefs and things like that I, I i didn't want to necessarily like them but when the fiend came around i was really really into that and i still like the character i think they can still you know salvage it if they you know do the right things but you know at, at this point that um aew is definitely something i follow you know i even watch the being the elites and stuff like that but um i'm kind of discovering the indies for the first time so i know me and jd have had conversations about you know, going back, what I should watch or what I should, you know, kind of uh, dip the toe in and things like that. And, you know, that's what's cool about being a fan is that even if you're not happy with the current product, there's a lot that you probably haven't seen that you can go back and go through. So, you know, on, on top of keeping up with AEW and a little bit of New Japan here and there, um, I, uh, I definitely am, am kind of retroactively going through some of the stuff that I missed as far as, you know, some of the Ring of Honor matches or PWG or, um, you know, things like that. I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of make sure that I'm educated as far as what I've, what I've missed. Yeah, it's been really frustrating with The Fiend because, you know, there was that horrible Hell in a Cell match with Seth Rollins, which was... Mm -hmm book so badly i mean you couldn't book it any worse than they did and then he was starting to get some momentum again he won the title and then the goldberg match happened and uh yeah i, I don't think it's too late i think that what they're doing right now with alexa bliss i kind of like it i kind of dig what they're doing right now but yeah it, it's definitely been a hit and miss isn't it with the fiend it's been what's well, been hit and miss with bray wyatt from day one isn't it because they sort of get behind him for a little while and then they seem to sort of give up on him after a while they don't know what to do with him. No. They can't they can't figure out how to book him. Like they they can't get out of their own way and just like the initial Bray Wyatt cult leader gimmick would have been great, but they just they muck things up too much. Like it's like a little kid who, who gets a new toy and he suits it's like I see this with my son. He gets these toys and he gets super excited about them and then he's like, Dad, I broke it. And I'm like, Yeah, you didn't play with it right now. Now you got a broken toy here. So I mean I feel your pain. Well, by all accounts, Vince has given up on Lars Sullivan again now. 
you know, so you're talking about having a favourite toy for a little while and then not wanting to play with it anymore. That's uh, that's what's happened with Lars Sullivan. So uh, the, amount of, the amount of power that man has over so many people's careers is staggering, and that he can literally change someone's entire life trajectory just simply by getting bored. It's just it's yeah. staggering to me. Yeah, no, really and not is. sometimes not even getting bored, but sometimes just you know the weird quirks that that man has. You know the story of uh, you know Brody Lee and and how how you know just because he couldn't do a southern accent, it was like game over for him. And it's you know that that's uh, yeah, it's 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 something that's been needing to change for quite some time. But you know, I I don't know when it ever will. But you know, I I think uh, I think the minute it does change, hopefully it'll be for the better. You know. So we've got some slightly sort of rapid fire questions here now. So favorite wrestler of all time, Joey. I'm gonna go Kurt Angle on that one. Oh, good choice. That's that's hard to follow, JD. But who are you gonna who are you gonna go with? I gotta go Bret the Hitman Hart. Well, yeah, that's a pretty good choice as well. <laughs> that are probably those those are probably my two favorites, and I think I'll probably lean more towards Bret because Bret was my favorite growing up so yeah those are great choices uh favorite match of all time joey uh i'm gonna go with uh sean michaels versus the undertaker at wrestlemania 25 their first uh their first match it's a great choice and uh jd magnum ta telly blanchard starkey 85 i quit match i'm guessing that's obviously a match you had to go back and watch because you didn't watch it at the time no i watched hmm. it i went i was a I wasn't a tape trader, but boy, did I go to a lot of blockbusters and collect. Um, no, I, I bought that. I bought a no, I copied actually a Best of Starcade VHS that I found, and uh, this is like when I was thirteen or fourteen, so long before like you could easily go back and watch matches. But that was like the again like in, in the super sanitized mid early mid nineties era of WWE to see Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard trying to kill each other with a wooden chair was so amazing to my mind and it's aged really well and it's it's not like a predecessor for what became garbage wrestling like it really is a great story being told and and what could have been with magnum ta is just it's oh, unbelievable absolutely yeah. i guess i i i watched on our on the podcast i used to host the Wrestling showdown i made my buddy scott young who's on part of the fight game media group watch it and he couldn't believe how good it was too and how how well it had aged so i mean i, I highly recommend that match to everybody and uh, Joey, the best show you've ever attended live? Uh, for that one, if not my first show, I definitely loved. I went to AEW uh, Dynamite uh, when they were. That was the celebration for Chris Jericho, and they brought out uh, Virgil or Soul Train Jones, and uh, You're uh, I think the the Butcher <laughs> and the the Blade. Um, they uh, debuted that day, and yeah, JD gave me the tickets. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was that was that was also a really really good show. And uh, JD, your favorite show you ever attended? And I'm spoiled. I've been to so many good ones in Chicago. I got to see Jericho's debut. I got to watch the the thousand and four Holtz promo live. I was there when Batista and Cena debuted. Like I got WWE did so much good stuff here. Um, you know. But I think the, the most fun I've ever had a show was probably All In. I think that's my favorite. And of course, we have Dave Meltzer to thank for All In. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate the hell of a show like that five miles from my doorstep. So it was, you know, I thought it was, I can't in retrospect I can't believe I got tickets to it, but it was it was a great time, man. I had I was the best time I've ever had at a wrestling show. And this this I'm last. Jealous. I'm jealous as well. Um, this last question is, is I think it's a difficult one because it is, if you could change one thing about the business, what would it be? And there's a lot of things I would like to change, but if, if you could just choose one thing, Joey, what would it be? What would you change about the business? So I, I thought about this one and I agree. This is a, this is a tough one because I wasn't sure which lens to take as far as, you know, um, for the greater good or for personal, you know, preference. And I, so I, I, I chose personal preference on this one. And I think that I would like to see, 
the TV 14 rating kind of come back to, uh, to wrestling kind of across the board. Um, not because I'm the type of person that, you know, liked all of the Playboy models trying to wrestle or anything along those lines. But I think that just having a little bit more freedom in the way that you tell certain stories or you wrestle matches, you know, there was a lot of good that came from, you know, promotions like ECW that really pushed the envelope that, you know, yes, sometimes they were out of control and that could be, you know, um, you know, chalked up to management or, you know, some of the individuals involved and things like that. But I, I think that they had the right idea in regards to opening up their boundaries as far as what they could do in telling a story, whether it be, you know, actual matches or promos. And um, I think that, you know, a company like AEW could, you know, really do well if they were, you know, kind of more so, um, you know, free to, to, you know, explore those boundaries, which I think they are, you know, in certain senses. I know that Tony Khan has said that, He's, uh, you know, a huge fan of ECW and, you know, was back in the day and things like that. But, um, you know, I think that if they were, if, they, if there weren't so many other people to please as far as, you know, sponsorships and, you know, the TV deal and things like that, it would be cool to see what, you know, the wrestling world would be like if they were, you know, a little bit more aimed at adults rather than, you know, um, uh, you know, having the PG as aspect of things, you know. I do, I do agree with you. I think AEW sometimes goes a little too far with the, especially with the blood. You know, we, we, we had that dog collar match with Brody and Cody. Okay, it was it was a great match. I love the match, but you're doing it free on TV. And these guys are bleeding all over the place. And, and to me, blood, you need a bit of blood every now and again. Uh, but I would save it for a big occasion. I would not do it, you know, on TV. Yeah, and I, and I think that one of the things that and I could be completely wrong in this but the vibe that I get from AEW when they do things like that and sometimes they take it too far is that there is potentially a list of things that you can and you can't do and so in order to you know push the envelope like I'm talking about you know if they say that blood's okay but you know this isn't or you know this word is okay and this one isn't you know I think that that pigeonholes them and they try to, you know, push the envelope by, you know, remaining within the, the, the boundaries that is created from that. And again, I could be wrong on that, but uh, that's the vibe I get at least. And I think that, you know, again, I don't think they would rely so much on blood or so much on, you know, certain, you know, cuss words or whatever, you know, that, that you hear often because, you know, they would be able to, you know, uh, have a little bit more room to work with as far as, you know, like I said, when it comes to pushing the envelope or making something a little bit more personal, you know, I remember the the promo that Cody cut on uh, Dustin before um, it was uh, all out. I think, uh, but whenever they had their match, uh, or double or nothing, double I think it nothing, was. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. Um, so you know that that one was uh, one that just played on YouTube, and so he got to. I mean, they they you know, bleeped it out, but I think he dropped an F-bomb in that, and, you know, it was, you know, a little bit, um, you know, um, a little bit on that dirty side where, you know, I think that's one of the, one of my favorite promos of all time because it went, you know, straight to YouTube, and, you know, maybe they have a little bit more to work with, but, um, you know, I, I, I would like to see that at, at some point, or at least have, you know, if they, even if they themed a, a pay-per-view around, you know, that kind of, uh, uh, a show or something, you know, it would be cool to see. So, I, before I get into mine real quick, I do, I disagree that I think they have to hold back on TV. Like, pay-per-view is actually a small percentage of where AEW's money's coming from, right? The Their money comes from TV. So I think every now and then you have to go big on your TV show just to give people a reason to watch and to keep them there and to appease your partners. Like, hence why we're getting, as we record this, Tomorrow night we're going to get Moxley Omega on TV, and I think that, and I, I'm, I disagree. I mean, I just praise Magnum T.A. Tilly Blanchard, so blood doesn't bother me. But I do think that um, we're living in a different market space now, where you have to kind of, you have to give away so not quite give away, but you have to do a lot more on your regular TV show than you would have 20 years ago, just because that's where, you know, that's where your bread's buttered, especially in this pandemic here, where, where people really aren't going to shows. So I mean, like I, I appreciate the extra 
that's been put into TV this year, especially from AEW. Yeah. But what but would I, you change, then? <laughs> well, what I would change about uh, pro wrestling is I think that um, the contract situation, I don't want to get into like unionization or, or any of those type of things. What I mean is I think that people get locked into contracts for too long, and I think it hurts and it hurts their perception and development. What I mean by that is back in the day, like in the 70s and 80s, if a talent got kind of stale, they put in their notice and they just moved on to the next territory. You know, I think that we miss that, that today. Because talent just stay in, like, one place forever. And it becomes a, it becomes like a, how do, how do I miss you if you don't go away type of thing? Mm. Like, I think, I know people love Randy Orton, and when I was watching WWE, I would find him remarkably boring. I think it's just because he's been around forever. You know, I, I think that it would, wrestling would be much more interesting if, like, Randy Orton could leave for six months and, and go do a run in New Japan. You know, or or AEW was able to bring in Tetsuya Naito for a brief time. Or, like, say, you know, Kento Miyahara is able to come into NXT for three, four months. You know, when, like, tag teams get to move around. Just wrestling would be a lot more interesting if people weren't locked into these long-term stringent contracts. Just for the sake of, you know, mixing up television a little bit more. And mixing up, you know, who goes where and who does what. Like, that's what made the territory so interesting, is that, like, you'd see Kerry Von Erich show up on, on St. Louis on St. Louis Wrestling, or, or, you know, Harley Race would be in Memphis, and then he would be on Georgia, and, or, and then do stuff down in Florida. You know, Dusty Race would come into Mid-South and do things. Or, you know, like, they had this, Dusty Rhodes had a great run in the WWF, feuding with Superstar Graham over the WWF title in the late 70s. Like, and he was only there for three months. And I think that we miss out on, like, the what could be really awesome in the short term. Like, we always talk about long-term booking and long-term storytelling. Sometimes three months is a great time to just get in, get a bang, and then move along. And I think that that's really lacking from all of pro wrestling right now. That's something I think we might see more of, you know, post-pandemic. Um, I hope so. I think we were starting, I think that... I think we were starting I, to, yeah. I think yeah. so, too. And that's kind of why I bring it up a little bit, is I got this piece I planned writing for Fight Game about the John... If, if should John Moxley lose the title. I've got this piece I want to write about him and how I really feel like he could have been that next Harley race. You know, just watching him show up at Bloodsport, it felt like... It felt like a superstar in an environment that didn't have any superstars. And it got me thinking about how cool wrestling would be if we saw that more often. Like when the Young Bucks were doing their, their tour around. Like, that was what's cool. So you could have, back in the day, you could have the Young Bucks at your indie if you were willing to spend the money. And it made that show that much better. Like, imagine, like, MLW. I like MLW a lot. Like, imagine if Jacob Fatu's in the ring, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get... The big show, like it's kind of a bad example, but I mean, like it would people would be like, what? What's he doing there? And it would get more people interested. I mean, like you know, he's gonna lose the guy, but it would make people go, well, that's intriguing and different. And that's why I think we lack a lot of sometimes is just intriguing and different. I definitely agree with that, JD. Absolutely, yeah. I I I think you're probably in favor of what they were doing with um, bringing in Thunder Rosa and having a defense oh, NWA huge title. Fan. Yeah, yeah, huge fan of that, and I hope they're able to do more. Like. I would love to see, and I think, I hope this happens in 2021. I hope Nick Aldis shows up. Oh, I yeah. really, really do. And I hope that, you know, uh, Cork Bomber was on his Twitter today saying, I've had conversations with Tony Khan, we're open to anything. Like, I just, I want to see more stuff. Like, I want to see stuff that makes it unique. Because, like, in the 90s, what was cool is you wonder if real guys would jump from company to company. Like, now I just want to see who can show up for just a brief period. Do you think like, they could Sorry, do you think they could also do crossover of Impact as well? Because obviously they brought in Don Callis for the for the Moxley and Page oh. match on the, on the last pay per view, and made a point of saying he's you know Impact's EVP. So I mean, well, I'm not going to break my back. I'm not going to break my hand too much patting my back on this one. But I got to do that interview with Don Callis and Kenny Omega for Fight Game, and um, you know he made a point to talk about how special that was and. Yeah, it wasn't going to be an everyday thing, but I mean, just the fact that he was able to do it made it special, and he was right. The fact that he did show up on, from an from, as an impact guy on the AEW pay per view did make it feel more special. It did make people question what was going on. I can tell you that because I know what our hit like. I know what our views were on on the uh, on the piece because I can't even wait. I wrote about it the very next week, and people were wondering what. And I know a big part of people were wondering what was going on with Impact and the AEW. It may be nothing in the long term, but I mean, like, stuff like that keeps 
it keeps you interested. Like, I would love to see more. Of, it would be great if the Good Brothers could come into AEW and, and have a quick run with the Bucks, because we never saw that. That'd be great. You know, stuff like that. And I'd love to see if uh, maybe someone who's being under you, maybe like a Sean Spears who doesn't get a ton of space on AEW can go work for Impact for a little bit just to, you know, put some people over, do whatever, work a good story. It doesn't matter. Like, the, the sky's the limit of what could be done. I just want to see it more. Yeah, and JD, me and you were, you know, after you you had done that, I said, you know, that's one of my favorite uh, type of tropes in uh, in wrestling, and, and we were kind of talking about the fact that I love... So, again, when I started wrestling, it wasn't long after that uh, that they added the uh, ECW brand, and they tried to revive that, and they did the second Ugh. one night stand. It was around <laughs> the same time. The, the the end product, obviously, we know how that went, but when they were doing the invasion of, you know, ECW coming in and it was, you know, WWE versus ECW, you know, I loved that. And then going back to, you know, WCW when NWO was looked at as, you know, almost a separate brand rather than, you know, just the stable, you know, again, we know how that ended as well, but I, I, I love that invading force of, you know, the outsiders, whoever that may be, and I think that, uh, you know, I that this is just my fantasy booking, but if they were to do something like that with Impact in AEW, or, you know, even, you know, to, to you know, involve anybody else as far as, you know, New Japan or MLW or anything, I mean, I think that would, that would for sure, you know, take all of my money, you know what I mean? I would yeah. love to, yeah. you know, just completely support that, because I think that that's uh, like I said, it's definitely my favorite trope in, in uh, you know, wrestling. And, you know, in I mean, I remember getting back into it and, you know, finding out about Nexus when that was a thing. And, you know, all of those type of, you know, invading forces is, is you know, just yeah. uh, so intriguing to me. And I they, always, really cool. they always seem to start off really strong. Like the, the Nexus thing, that, that first night was great. But they quickly run out of steam very quickly because yeah, it, it just never. I mean, WWE doesn't know how to book an invasion angle. I mean, you, all oh, you got to do is look. Seen, all you got to do is look seen, back. Yes. All you got to do is look back at the invasion angle itself from 2001, and how they completely squandered that. I mean, everyone knows you know why that didn't work because they didn't have Goldberg, they didn't have Sting, and but even if they had those guys, it still would have played out probably exactly how how it went. They would have those guys would have lost in the end. It would have played out the same way yeah. the UWF and WA thing played out. Like the egos get in and the, and the ruling company has to make sure everybody knows that their guys are on top and it's, we've seen it before. And I think you're right, these things do lose steam, so get them done. You know, get a good three months out of it, and then everyone should leave. You know, like when an invading force is beaten back, take them off. Like, they should go somewhere else for a while. And it just, we talk about the Twitter discourses, you have to embrace the main, the quote-unquote mainstream fan. I don't even know what that means, but they're like, no, what, what gets the casuals involved? And I disagree with that. I think there's nothing wrong with super-serving your fans that actually care about the product and getting them a reason to get excited. Because, like I said, I lived through the NWO thing. Like, when when Hall and Nash show up in WCW, people started talking. Yeah. It got it got eyes on the product. And it wasn't casual fans. It was the actual fans. And when actual fans... We've seen it with the Marvel stuff. When actual fans are excited about something, they will bring their friends and family and everybody in that wants to see, to see this. They You know, when nerds get excited about what they love, there is no... There's no better, you know, outlet, or there's no better, you know, word of mouth than, than a happy nerd. <laughs> yeah, and and I know, you know, David, we were talking earlier before we started about, you know, um, kind of how I, I I follow wrestling through, you know, some of the different shows that are out there, like you know, Cultaholic and things like that. And um, when we talk about, you know, all of those missteps when it comes to, you know, the uh, you know, the invasion angles and things like that. There's, um, I, I believe his name's Adam Blampede, who now works for Russell Talk, but he does how I would have booked, and he takes different, you know, scenarios and things like that. And one of them that he's done is, is he's done the Nexus, he's done, uh, you know, the uh, WCW invasion, and uh, it, it's, it, of course, it's hindsight, but I, I think even just from watching those that, you know, 
there there is a clear path between you know what you probably should do versus what you shouldn't do and you know like you said JD it, go, it goes into you know a lot of the this guy can't lose or you know yeah. these people need to look strong and things like that but you what know if you were to take away that that you know desire to you know hold on to those type of uh, beliefs I, I think that there are ways that you can make an invasion that starts out strong and finishes strong you know it can be done. It really hasn't yet, but it could be. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame there's such a time difference between us because it, it, it's coming up to midnight and I feel like we could talk for another hour or two hours. There's, there's so much uh, ground uh, we could cover. I, I would love to have you guys back on at some point. I would, oh, I I would love to. Yeah, I'm always... I, I'm an I'm a independent writer, so I'm always pushing my books or, or you know, what the stuff we do with Fight Game or whatever. I would love, I love podcasting and talking. So whenever you want to have a conversation again, man, drop me a line. Drop. I know Joey loves to talk too, so we'll definitely do this again. <laughs> yes, well, so my, yes. my, la- my last thing was to say: Is there anything you guys want to want to plug? So, so JD, you want to want to plug anything here at the end? Yeah. Here we go. Uh, I'm a, my main job is I'm I'm an author. I write I write supernatural thriller books. Uh, they're available everywhere. Uh, the easiest place is probably Amazon. So just Google my, or just uh, go to Amazon, search for JD O L I V A, and uh, you'll see all my work there. And uh, you know, stay tuned to Fight Game Network, the the Fight Game um, website. I, I write for there. I'm gonna start focusing a lot more on on amateur wrestling and what's going on in Japan. So you can kind of follow me over there. And we got some other stuff cool that's coming down the road. Fight Game pretty soon. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to take the thunder on Garrett's sales, but it's a lot of really cool stuff that's coming. So that's that's where you can find me. And uh, Jerry, if you want to plug here at the end, uh, I want to second all of JD's plugs because he is uh, definitely a, a very talented writer and uh, podcaster. So I mean, I, anything that he's doing, I definitely would say to support that. But um, no, nothing, nothing personally, other than uh, we just got done with the month of November. They, they were. Um, you know, doing a lot of uh, fundraisers and things like that for uh, uh, mental health, and I am a mental health professional, so uh, just kind of always, you know, advocating in regards to, you know, the mental health field and, you know, not only supporting the people that work in it, but, you know, advocating for anybody that's, you know, going through a tough time or, um, you know, uh, could potentially benefit from some help, you know, definitely don't be afraid to ask it, and if it, you know, worst case scenario, if you have nobody to ask, you know, Feel free to reach out to me, and I'd be, uh, you know, more than more than happy to help. So, uh, you know, other than that, no, that's uh, about all I want to plug. Great. Well, well, thank you, Joey, uh, for coming on. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you, and and we will definitely do this again at some point. Definitely. Thank you, David. Appreciate and, it. Thanks and JD, uh, thank you to you too. And and uh, I'll definitely have to check out some of those books then. I would appreciate that. <laughs> and I'll pay my mortgage. So if you do that, that'd be great. Okay, thanks guys.